so today I am here with a special guest and a friend who is a local psychologist. His name is Dr. Jeff Eckert, and he and his wife, Dr. Kim Eckert, founded a great counseling center here in Chattanooga about five years ago called Roots Counseling Center. And Jeff, they also have four children. The oldest three are very close in age to mine, basically all adolescents. And then they have a younger one who's nine. So they are in the thick of parenting. And Jeff um, specializes in several things, one of which is teenage issues, oppositional defiant issues, and also addiction issues, specifically sex addiction is one, um, and a lot of men's issues and trauma work. So we're gonna try to do two podcast recordings in one day. Um, because we are both uh, outside the box free spirits, maybe. Fair enough. <laughs> maybe bite off more than we can choose. So we'll try to rein it in and keep these uh, shorter than 30 minutes if we can. And if we don't manage well, maybe one will be 15 minutes. We'll see how it goes. So, um, so hello, Jeff. Hey, Beth. Jeff and I are also friends and colleagues. Um, we've referred back and forth and um, I've known him for a long time, even before he started Roots. Also, he's been doing this work for 25 years or more. Right. Um, and his wife's written a book or yeah, two. She, she's written two books. Uh -huh. uh, one is a book uh, called Stronger Than You Think, Becoming Whole Without Having to Be Perfect, A Woman's Guide. Love that. Um, and then their second book was Things Your Mother Never Told You. That's a book about sexuality for women. Oh, man. Both with InterVarsity Press. You can get them on Amazon. So if anybody wanted to snag those, those are readily available. I need to do that right now. Let's take a five-minute break. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I love those titles. So Stronger Than You Think. And then what? Things Your Mother Never Told You. I love that. And then the one about... Uh, female sexuality is called. That's the. Oh, thing. that's, that's the, second the, that's the second one. That's the second one. First one is more of a general women's sort of the issues women struggle with in the world. Takes each one and kind of breaks it down. Oh man, okay, I need to do that. So, yeah. I need to order those. Um, and don't let me forget before we end to like get your website and people yeah. want to contact you at Roots. Um, I've known lots of people to go to Roots over the years, and I know you've got a lot of really good therapists there. So, so we're going to start with like difficult teenage parenting issues. How how would you frame that? Um, what how do you talk about that or refer to that? Well, first of all, I was a difficult teenager, so I think that's how I ended up in this realm. Uh, I was a preacher's kid, and I was the preacher's kid that you hear about stereotypically that rebelled, was in trouble. Uh, was angry. I remember a story my parents told me about uh, the third grade Sunday school teacher at church came to them and said, we don't want Jeff in uh, our class. I was getting ready to move to the next class because they heard stories about me. Oh. Um, I was uh, mischievous. I was uh, volatile, uh, disruptive, kind of the whole thing. In fact, when I look back, I got in a lot of physical fights from grade school up through early high school. I would have been suspended, if not expelled, in the, the, the world we're in right now. Back wow. then, there was a lot more latitude for that. But uh, So I, I was angry at life and the world, 
in a lot of ways. And so I think that brings a point of connection with uh, young men and women who come in with that because um, I present, I think, as this sort of old guy in a Hawaiian shirt who looks pretty <laughs> laid back, but I share bits of that story and I it builds some credibility quickly. So I think that's a good start with kids is like, hey, I don't I wouldn't have wanted to be here either. Yeah. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have wanted to sit and talk to somebody in this format. So to be 15 and sitting in a therapist's office on an 80 degree afternoon is one of the last places that I would want to be. So I don't blame you for not wanting to be here. So immediately it diffuses yeah. some of the resistance because I'm like, hey. I get it. It's okay to not want to be here. Yeah. And I don't take it personally at all because that makes a whole lot of sense. Oh, that's wonderful. Like they feel kind of understood and I you hope. build rapport. Yeah, yeah. You hope. I, I hope. And, and, and one of the first things I often do is ask them something that they can bring in with them for the next session so that they can get engaged even if they don't want to talk. So I will have them bring in um, uh, a, a, an album or a song they really particularly enjoy. And with angry teenagers, they will push the envelope. They will say, so at, historically, I worked at a very overtly Christian practice. They're like, you know, can I play this song in here? Yeah. Are we allowed I mean, to play anything yeah, in yeah, this Yeah. And place? I said, anything goes. They're like, yeah. even this? And, I, and they would try to come up with some of the worst stuff imaginable. And I would just, it would be diffused by, yeah, whatever yeah. you bring in. No well, and I will listen to it with you. And we'll talk about why you like it. And so you're immediately sort of disarming some of the, I think, thoughts about, wow, therapy. This person's going to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. They're going to uh, be another parent figure versus, wow, this is somebody who is doing things that I didn't expect and I'm not going to let him know this, but I may not actually mind coming here as much as I thought. Mm. And I can see that going on non-verbally a lot of times fairly early. Mm. Um, they won't say it, but there's often a sense of, mm. okay, um, this is very different than I thought in a good way. So. Ooh, well, and just hearing you talk now, I hope that the parents who are listening will really try to model this, even though you're talking about what you do in therapy, that this is like what parents should be doing, emotional safety and unconditional love. It doesn't mean you have to approve or accept everything they do, sure. but just you can be seen and understood. And I've been wanting to do a podcast on emotional safety and validation. And so I, I hope that parents will not only you know, get a greater understanding of oppositional teenagers and difficult teenagers, but also look at this is not only what a therapist can do to connect with teens, but what parents can do. Right. I think that safety gets created through pursuing, even in the face of lots of rejection. Mm -hmm. So I will pursue and pursue and pursue some of these kids and they will not talk. They will snap at me or swear at me. And I just don't, I just, I'm, I'm a tenacious sort of a person and I encourage parents. I said, look, if you do this enough, they will not be able to continue this process indefinitely. They're testing you mm -hmm. for some reason. And there's often lots of reasons they don't trust and they are hesitant to, you know, take those steps towards someone. And so I, I encourage parents, keep being curious, keep pursuing, 
ask questions about things your kid is interested in, even if you're not, because I'll, I'll say to parents, you know, how about this thing? Well, I'm not really interested in that. Well, but your kid is. And if you want a point of entry, yeah, ask questions about it. So if I have a kid in, in my office who's an atheist mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm a person of faith, I'm going to ask a lot of questions about how he got there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, we may watch YouTube videos that display this is, this is kind of how I landed here. This is the book that I read and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And I think some parents, they don't know how to do that or they feel threatened by that yeah. or uncomfortable. And it's that it is amazing what happens when you are curious and show interest in things that are, and then the kid knows this is not in my parents' mm-hmm. place of interest, but they're doing this for me. Mm, that's so good. I like that word being tenacious and, you know, just being patient and going, they're pushing away or they're testing and just don't, don't push back so much or don't resist, just let them talk and just be there and Again, you know, you don't have to approve or accept a lot of it, but just say, I accept you. I love you. Um, That's amazing. Wow. Well, I think you just brought up another point I would want to make, which is I do think you still have to fight battles. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. just back off and be a peer. Yeah. There are battles to fight, but you need to choose those and you need to look at the top 10 things and look at one or two you're fighting and let some of those other ones go. Top two priorities. These are the ones I'm going to fight. These are the ones I'm going to go on a hill and maybe die on that hill over. But these other things, I am not going to battle this every day. And I think that's one of the challenges I see with parents is there's 10 battles that they could easily fight and they're just fighting all the time. And all the kid hears is negative feedback, challenge, conflict. And I hear so many of these oppositional kids saying, I don't ever hear anything good about myself. Mm. They don't ever see anything positive about me. And it's because we're fighting these 10 battles all the time instead of saying, here's the two we really need to fight. And here's some of the other things we need to do, which is looking for those little things. Sometimes they're really little. Mm-hmm. You know, I may say, hey, you talked a little bit more today than you usually talk. I'm, I appreciate that. Yeah. And that may not seem like a big deal for a parent. Like, well, he, yeah, he talked, but he was angry and he was this and that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, but he hasn't hardly said a word. since. Yes. He's, I've had kids go two and three sessions without hardly talking the fourth session. They talk for five or 10 minutes. I'm like, that is progress. And that's a good parallel. Your kid has done X, Y, and Z over and over again. And this week they did that a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Point it out. Oh, that's they so important. They need to hear that. Yes, I love that. Yeah, and you know, I do feel like so many parents and kids get further and further apart. Mm-hmm. And it just builds mm-hmm. on itself. Sure. You know, they feel misunderstood. They feel unappreciated. They feel like the bad, the black sheep or the scapegoat or the bad kid. And they don't feel like their parents see any good in them. And then they just kind of start becoming more and more bristly and more and more oppositional. Um, And I always like to make the distinction between loving someone versus liking someone. And this is where I think with kids that are oppositional or prickly or whatever, testing the limits, just mm-hmm. really letting them know that I I love you and I like you. And mm-hmm. I, I do. I don't have to like everything about you. Sure. But if they don't point out the good sides, it really just shuts people down and probably makes them more and more difficult. Right. 
and feeling think, not seen. Well, I think that becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. If I tell this my kid over and over again how bad they are or how their performance in school was poor or how difficult they are, they are going to continue to live that out. Mm -hmm. That's just, I mean, you get that message over and over again mm -hmm. and you are already doing that and then it becomes cemented and you believe that about yourself. Yeah, totally. So I think... You know, I, I like uh, the idea of parents trying to give five positive words for every negative word. Now, I would say most of us struggle to do one positive for every mm -hmm. five negatives. I mm -hmm. will raise my hand on that yeah. with, with teenagers. Yeah. But I will say when I see parents making that effort to be more positive, they may not get to five to one. But if you think about five to one, five mm -hmm. to one, you're going to be more positive. And I will almost guarantee you'll see some softening in that relationship because mm. The kid has a harder and harder time saying, well, my mom's always on me or my dad's always, I'm always in trouble mm -hmm. because we have lots of examples to cite of times when that's not happened versus, well, I can't really say anything because yes, that is kind of all I'm communicating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so not motivating and it really makes you want to give up. Sure. And then makes you angry, yes. which is like that self-fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and, you know, this is definitely one of my big soapboxes on parenting is trying to find your kids' superpowers. Mm, and mm -hmm. like for me having ADHD, and I know you said you might have some ADD, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I do think a lot of kids with ADD because they're either impulsive or hyper or, you know, forgetful or something, they can be kind of the recipient of a lot of criticism and feel like they're annoying their parents more than their non ADD siblings, for instance. Right. And it makes them feel just like, you know, I'm the annoying child. I'm the less favorite child. Mm -hmm. And I remember about 10 years ago, having a, a man and a 40, 45 year old man in my office. And at one point he was in tears and just talking about my mother always treated me like I was a pain and mm. I was a, a bad child. And, mm. and this, this guy was great. I mean, he had so many strengths. Of course, I didn't know him when he was 10, but right. I can only imagine just a colorful, you know, charismatic kid that hit, all mm. his parents could do was do the five negatives to one, mm. if not less, mm -hmm. you know, and um, he just felt so deflated and that self-esteem issue carried through his life and he's right. still crying about it in his 40s you know I've, I've seen I remember seeing an 18 year old that was saying all my teachers hated me except two and he remembered and named the two teachers that just really mm. saw his strengths mm. you know so um I like the superpower question I think that's a great one to sort of ask a kid what do you think your superpower is and yeah. I'm sure they may struggle to come up with that but mm -hmm. But looking for that place where you are really strong, you're really gifted, you yes. really have something that's unique and special. Exactly. I but really that. think everyone is gifted. Yes. And I say this on my podcast. Sure. It looks like you agree with that, too. Yes. And I think that could be life changing for every person at any age, but certainly kids to know you are gifted mm -hmm. and you have superpowers. You just need to figure out what they are. And they're not the same as your neighbors or your friends. They're different, most likely. But just don't give up until you figure out what they are and what you bring to the table and what you have to offer the world. You yeah. know, what's your superpower? Uh, well, it's so funny. Um, I'm not I haven't thought about it enough to be sure this is my final answer. Okay. But it's <laughs> hilarious you just asked this because I just told my client who's in her 60s this morning. 
that it was related to her husband who wasn't in here. I said, I think my two superpowers are lowering the bar for people Mm. so that, and it's kind of about self-talk so that you can be better, not to like lower your goals, but to, to not be so hard on yourself or so perfectionistic or have self-limiting beliefs. And then also making people comfortable in their own skin. Mm. And I think that right there is my, is probably one of my best superpowers and I'm pretty comfortable in my skin. And, but I really think that if people are like that, then their whole lives, they can be their best self and use their gifts. Right. So I'm not sure that's my final answer, but that's definitely one of the, thank you. What's your superpower? Um, well, I usually say stamina um, mm-hmm. because I sort of have a ability to go and go and go. But thinking about it relationally, uh, probably ability to connect with people from all walks of life. So in my practice, you might see somebody who either is homeless or is on the verge of homelessness. And then the next person that's in may be somebody who's a leader in the community mm-hmm. who comes in mm-hmm. in a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have the ability to find places of connection with people mm-hmm. kind of all over that map. And that Ooh. works That works well. I mean, I, that initial point of, hey, um, feel, that person maybe feels seen or understood mm-hmm. in some at least small way right off the bat. Yeah. So. Ooh, I like that. And, you know, that reminds me of just the idea of feeling like we're all human, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And I do have this running theme in my mind of, you know, kind of similar to what you said, like it doesn't matter who you are, what your race, what your religion, your age, your socioeconomic status, like we have a lot of connection with everybody and sure. we can. So yeah. I resonate with that and love that, you know, whether it's a cashier or if I met the president, you know, I, I would like to just find common threads of humanity, whether I was intimidated by someone or thought someone might be in some way, not on the same level in whatever way, like we're all on the same level, you know? Um, well, so what would be, you've mentioned some of your favorite approaches with teens and being oppositional, any other, I don't know, causes of being oppositional or favorite techniques or approaches that that you like to share with parents or kids? Um, I really like to use story with with kids. Um, So sharing some of my story I talked about earlier, but hearing more about what their story is, because very few kids like this, does anybody really ask them, like, tell me how you kind of got here. How did, you know, you're angry, you're pissed off at the world that didn't happen in a vacuum. You didn't wake up one day and just say, I'm going to be an asshole to mm-hmm. people around me. Mm-hmm. Like you, there is hurt. Mm-hmm. There, there are things that have happened that led you to that place. Let's talk about kind of how you got there. And I see kids sort of light up against their better judgment because mm-hmm. they don't want to light up, but having somebody be curious enough to want to mm-hmm. know that and want to know. And I ask a lot of questions. It's not like I ask that question. They give me a 20 minute monologue. Yeah. We'll, we'll kind of guide it along the way and ask lots of questions to kind of see different pieces of it because understanding that I think is important versus let's treat this symptom of anger and oppositionality and put a bandaid over it. And then, you know, maybe that works for six or eight weeks and Mm -hmm. eight weeks later I get a call back from mom or dad saying this kid is doing the same thing 
they were doing before because we never got to the root. We mm. never got to that deep wound or mm-hmm. various wounds, which is also where I like to have parents involved actively in the process to say, look, if you're here to bring your kid and drop them off and for me to fix them, this is the wrong place because you are going to need to be ready to be challenged as well, because this is a systems issue. And the system is partly where your kid has ended up in this place. It's not just your kid being a bad kid yeah. who's angry. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And that brings up such an important point is oftentimes people act out or misbehave and it's a cry for help. Sure. It's a sign mm-hmm. like there's the system is flawed, kind of like I remember some analogy or metaphor in, in grad school of the person waving the flag out the window of the burning house. Mm-hmm. Like, are they the one with the problem or are they waving a flag of like, I'm self I'm self-harming or I'm drinking or abusing drugs or, you know, being difficult and oppositional to say, I'm not okay. This family's not okay. So that's really good that you, I should probably do a better job of being upfront with parents. Like, you know, issues occur in the family system Mm -hmm. and we can help your child a little bit, but we could help them a lot more if you were involved as a, as a unit. Sure. I love doing family therapy just in general, by the way, and I love Good. working with parents, but then having everybody in the room together. And it's shocking how much work happens, even with a kid who really doesn't want to be in therapy at all, if they have some connection with me mm-hmm. and feel like I could be an advocate for them in their family system. That doesn't mean taking their side in every situation. Yeah. It just means I understand a little piece of them. Mm-hmm. And they have somebody else to help them talk to their parents. Mm. So that's really good to know. And I agree. Like, you know, a lot of kids are resistant to doing joint sessions with a parent or their whole family. But if they can build a relationship with you and feel understood and seen by their therapist, they're more likely to say, okay, like you're here for me. Will you help? (laughs) You know, and and like you said, not necessarily take their side, but just to help them express themselves because it is intimidating. I think we forget how intimidating it is to confront a parent or confront an adult when you're a teenager. When a lot of oppositional kids come from oppositional parents, Mm -hmm. so they may actually be scared of their parent because Mm -hmm. their parent has anger issues and is wants to go toe to toe all the time. And as much as they're this angry kid who's getting in trouble, Mm -hmm. they don't really want to do that with their parent because their parent is not a safe person either. Yeah, that's true. So uh, a recent example I had of of this family work is I talked to a, a teenage boy I was working with and He did not want to do family work. He was, and I said, look, I'm not going to force you to. It's when you're ready. And Mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep bringing it up because that's how I'm wired. When I think it's important, I'll keep putting it on your radar. A couple sessions later, he came and he said, okay, I'm ready to do the family session. I'm like, what? He said, I had a horrific interaction with my mom and I need some way to do something different there because it was awful and it's still not really resolved. And so sometimes it's that like blow up in the system that happens where it's like, okay, I didn't want to do this, but I'm having good conversations with Jeff Mm -hmm. relative to everything else. And I actually do want to have a better relationship with my mom as much as I don't maybe look like I do. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I don't like this feeling of rupture and distance that happens. Oh, wow. 
and probably thinking it couldn't get any worse than that fight. Sure. So yes. I'm more willing to take a chance. Yes, that's kind of what he said. Wow. Yeah. That's that's so cool. So did that session go okay? It went surprisingly well. In fact, I think they're going to continue to do some more work. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I love it was, that. It was, it was surprising. I didn't expect it to go as well as it did. It just felt like it was when he was ready, they were ready. It just... I didn't, I really just sat back, asked a few questions and mm -hmm. watched them do a lot of work together. Mm -hmm. I was really proud of them. That's so good. That's another, to me, just window into something that therapists should do and also parents should do is like compromise, like sort of be um, your word tenacious of like, I'm going to keep pushing because I know this is going to be good for you at some point, but I'm going to respect that you're not ready yet. Yes. But sort of like if, or if you want to tell a child like, or teen, you know, you need to tell your parents that you're cutting yourself, but as long as you're not suicidal, I'll be a little patient, but at some point you need to tell them or at some point you need to tell them about this trauma. And so you're kind of, you have a bit of a boundary, but you have flexibility. Sure. And so yes. I love that because that's kind of models the parenting balance between an authoritarian strict dictator parent would go you're doing this now mm -hmm. and then a permissive parent would just drop the good message and the important truth of you need to talk about this but you were modeling that balance between here's a, a rule and a healthy boundary but I'm going to be a little flexible so I love that and yeah. it worked yeah it did it doesn't always work so I don't want to yes. put it on a magic wand this, oh, this yeah. was a really good beginning of an outcome but it's not i don't want to pretend i'm waving any pixie dust it's never perfect office, no, no. <laughs> um so. yeah i know i love that because i have had some really earth-shattering amazing group sessions with a family or mm -hmm. a father son or a mother daughter or whichever um but then i've had some that just ended badly that mm -hmm. were a disaster you sure. know so um, you're, I'm glad you're reminding people like, you know, you never know. It could just be amazing or it could be really hard and they might regret it, you know, yeah. but then you just hope they'll give it another try. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it does get worse before it gets better. I agree with that for sure. Well, um, I love the, the idea of just having them tell their story. And I really do think that's one of the most transformative pieces of therapy in general mm -hmm. is, you know, asking someone like you said, a lot of people are never asked tell me your story. Like, I want to know every bit of it you want to share. And mm -hmm. a lot of people have never even really thought through it themselves or mm -hmm. written it down or, or, or you just share it with people in pieces, but you never sit and just do it in an hour or two or three. Right. And then I think it helps the therapist understand them, but it also often helps them understand it themselves and hear it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then the more they understand themselves, then and maybe value who they are, and then they can take that into their relationship with a parent or share their story with a parent, and their parent could see them in a different way. Yeah, no, I think that definitely can happen. Um, and once again, I just think a lot of these are kids who nobody's really asking them what their story yeah. is because they're in trouble at school, they're in trouble at home, they're in trouble at church, all mm -hmm. the settings. And so people are just trying to survive them. Yes. And versus really want to try to, and, and, and you know, I get parents ex being exhausted yes. and teachers being exhausted. I mean, like, I don't know what to do with this kid. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not minimizing that at all or dismissing that, but trying to marshal a little energy here and there to push in 
and mm. persist mm. and and you know what like you said i like that letting the kid know that you love them and it's sometimes hard to like them but overall you really like them even yeah. though there's things you don't like and there's days you probably don't like a lot of yeah. things they do but letting them know they're not just this sort of despicable yes. you know person who's over here that nobody wants to be around because once again that creates you know something you don't want in yeah. a kid when you communicated mm-hmm. that yeah completely shuts them down and like why even try like I'm never going to be accepted or liked and so just like you were saying earlier little things compliments even if it's just oh you look so cute today or you know that was so nice that you let your sister have that before you took it or you were so nice to your grandfather I mean just look for anything Mm -hmm. um you have nice handwriting, you know, I mean, and and just notice, like you said, that will soften them. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree so much. So many of them are just so discouraged. Like I can't do anything right. And everybody hates me and I'm the bad kid. And kids are, it almost seems almost universal, maybe like 90% of families. I feel like notice that that parent prefers that child that's the favorite one and i think that oppositional issues are kind of like the chicken or the egg like do you get more oppositional when you decide they don't like you or you're not the favorite or are you not the favorite because you're a little more difficult but some of these really strong-willed children end up being very successful adults Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of them just want to be adults already and they have trouble with authority but anyway um well, this is really, really helpful, and I love your philosophy. I think that your philosophy on how you treat these kids is really underlies the techniques. You do have techniques, but I think that philosophy is what is so life-changing. Um, so any other things you didn't say that you're itching to say about this before we try to move in, on to another very deep topic? <laughs> yeah. Um, probably my final thought I want to leave people with and I try to remind myself of is I feel like we're in a world that's less gracious and merciful than it's ever been Mm. and as we're working with and trying to love both being more gracious and merciful with our kids and with ourselves because Mm -hmm. here's the thing there's going to be times when your oppositional kid pushes and pushes and pushes and you lose it and mm-hmm. say things that you're like, oh my word, I can't believe I said that. I would never want to say that to a kid. Take responsibility, apologize to your kid, and give yourself some grace and say, hey, that was not okay, but I, on the back end, I took responsibility. I came to my kid. I showed them a model of how to take responsibility and apologize, and I'm going to move on now, and I'm not going to beat myself up. Just like I don't want them doing that either because that's not benefiting them in mm-hmm. any way for me to be harsh, harsh, harsh. They beat themselves up and just spiral down into the mud and feel even worse about themselves, and they mm-hmm. just give up and say, well, I'm already a tough kid so I'm just going to stay being a tough kid because nobody expects anything more out of me so that grace and that mercy of hey you had a rough day today but we got a different day tomorrow to start and I've seen things in you that encourage me that even after this hard day we've got something different your story is not over yet Mm, that's so good somebody just talked about redeeming the day Mm. and it reminds Mm. me of what you just said i I, i'll maybe i'll be able to think of who told me that it was a friend but 
like, how can we redeem this day? Even though it's been a bad day. Oh, I actually think it was my friend, Jeannie. He was on my balanced motherhood podcast, but yeah, that that's so good. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like I had about four thoughts as you were talking that I wanted to share, but maybe that redeem the day one was most important. Oh, I know the other thought was the old, I think it was from an old Baptist hymn that I used to hear at my grandparents' church, but look beyond the fault to see your need. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be so, um, like you said, give us so much more grace and, and mercy with people is to say, you know, there's something wrong. There's something they're struggling with and... Uh, you know, just on a personal note, our child who has the most oppositional traits has sensory issues mm. and mm. she, so she'll have some anger issues and, and there's more to it, but, um, definitely there've been a couple times and I will say this is not my strong point, but a couple times I thought I'm going to try giving her a very gentle hug when she's mm. flooded and in the moment of very, you know, nervous system overdrive mm. and, and I've been shocked that, and I, that is really not good. I tend to get flooded and I get more, you know, angry and stressed and agitated myself. But a few times when I've just given her a hug, I'll just real quietly, gently come in there and hug her. She will like, I'll feel her kind of relax. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, every time I'm like, I can't believe that worked. And it was a little scary because she was in that prickly overdrive mode. I didn't think she would hurt me, but I thought she might freak out and yell. So um, mm. that those kinds of moments where you can approach someone kindly, even when there's a flooding, <laughs> overwhelming situation can be good, so. I love that picture of the touch. I think touch is powerful in, in a healing process. And once again, these are kids who people aren't touching because they're sort of intimidated. Yeah, they're prickly. Yeah. These kids need touch. Yes. I think about that a lot. And this might be a really great segue. I kind of want to make it a more of an ending, but into the next topic, which is going to be on sex addiction. Mm-hmm. But I do, we'll just end with the the teenage and oppositionality on this Point, but this is an issue I think about. I remember growing up hearing we all need eight hugs a day mm. at least. Mm. And I think who how do people how does anyone get that? You know, at any age. So well, okay, so we'll wrap up this topic and then maybe this is really a great segue into the next episode. But thank you so much. This was really a wonderful well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm enjoying the time with you both. Me too. Always. <laughs> <laughs>